Thanks for joining us today. During this series, we want to spend time with Jesus to learn from Jesus how to live the way of Jesus. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, I I read a story a while back. There was a man who saw a business with a sign that read one hour dry cleaners. It was on the other side of town and he was getting ready to go out of town on a business trip. So that morning he drove across town out of his way to this one hour dry cleaners to drop off his suit. He filled out the tag and he told the clerk, I'll see you in an hour. And she said, oh, I'm so sorry. I can't get this back to you till Thursday. To which he replied, I thought you did dry cleaning in an hour. And she responded, no, that's just what the sign says. I'm sure he left disappointed. And I bet he never frequented that business again. And as followers of Jesus, that illustration is so important because if like the dry cleaner, we say one thing, but in reality, our lives are not becoming more and more like the one we follow then it discredits our witness. Our walk needs to match our talk. And listen, we're the furthest thing from perfect here. We're not perfect at all, but our vision here at Cherry Hills is to see people of every generation giving themselves fully to the way of Jesus and his mission. And and I don't know if you're sensing this, but we're sensing this on staff and in leadership that God is working in our church family. He is doing something. The Holy Spirit is moving and shaping us to become more like Jesus, to go deeper, to influence the way we think and the way we act, the way we use our time, our money, and our resources. And he is shaping us to be other-centered, guiding how we speak to others, how we treat others, how we serve others, how we honor others. We sense this is happening. And we want to lean into that and join God where he's working. So we're going to be spending a majority of this year in the gospel of Mark because something happens. Pastor Gary used to say this, something happens when we spend time with Jesus. So we're going to spend time with Jesus. And as we study this book of the Bible, if you're following in your notes, we're spending time with Jesus to learn from Jesus how to live the way of Jesus. So I want to invite you to open your Bibles for the first time in this series to the Gospel of Mark. Mark can be found about two-thirds of the way back in your Bibles. It is in the New Testament, the second Gospel. If you don't know where it is, go to the table of contents. That's your best friend. Don't be embarrassed to do that. If you have a, don't have a Bible, we have black Bibles in the seat back in front of you. You can use one of those. Mark chapter 1 can be found on page 812 of those Bibles. And if you don't own a Bible... Take that home with you. We want everybody to have a copy of God's word. So since we're going to be spending so much time in this book, we want to spend just a little bit of time understanding what it is we're reading. We need some background information on this gospel of Mark. So here we go. If you're following in your notes, Mark was the first New Testament gospel to be written. It was the first New Testament gospel to be written, and it was actually used by Matthew and Luke as they wrote their gospels. It's the shortest of the four gospels. It's action-packed. Mark shares more about what Jesus does than what Jesus teaches, so the pace is fast. 
The word immediately is used 41 times, and it propels the narrative forward with urgency and speed. Mark was the first New Testament gospel to be written, and if you're following your notes, it was authored by a man named John Mark. And though never mentioned by name in this book, we do know a little bit about him from Scripture. The first and only time that he's described in this gospel without name is in chapter 14, verses 51 and 52. You can see this on the screen. It says, a young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving behind his garment. So how would you like that to be how you're remembered? (laughs) Yep, that was me. Uh, Garden of Gethsemane, night before Jesus was killed, ran off from the Romans, my tunic fell to the ground, and yeah, I ran off naked. That's John Mark. But thankful we also know a little bit more about John Mark. We know in Acts chapter 12 that his mother's name was Mary, that she lived in Jerusalem, and her house was a meeting place for the early church. Also in Acts 12, we learn that John Mark is a cousin of Barnabas, if you've heard that name before, and they accompanied the apostle Paul on his first missionary journey. According to Acts 13, Mark turned back on that journey and went back to Jerusalem and left early. It, It really made Paul mad. It led to a fracture in the relationship. But we know from 2 Timothy 4.11 that Paul and John Mark were reconciled, and Paul would actually say, John Mark is useful to me in ministry. But perhaps the most important description of Mark is given by Peter in the book of 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 13. Peter is closing his letter to the churches in Asia Minor, and he wrote these words. You can see it on the screen. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings, and so does my son Mark. It's believed that Mark was a traveling companion of Peter, taking the gospel around the Roman world. And their relationship became so close that Peter referred to Mark with the affectionate term, my son. Right? I can imagine Peter and Mark walking dusty roads from city to city, and Peter sharing stories about Jesus, and Mark saying like, tell me that one again. Tell me the one where he walked on the water. Tell me the one where he healed the blind man. Tell me the one where he multiplied the fishes and the loaves. Tell me that one again. And that's why, if you're following in your notes, the gospel of Mark has also been referred to as the memoir of Peter. These are the recollections of Peter as told to John Mark. And it's believed that this gospel of Mark, if you're following your notes, was written to the church in Rome somewhere between 64 and 68 AD, just 30 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And we need to understand what it was like being a follower of Jesus in Rome during the mid to late 60s, because it influenced Mark's writing, and it's going to come up again and again as we walk through this gospel. Being a Christian in Rome meant being part of a distinct minority, Rome was filled with false gods, and the highest little g-god to be honored was the emperor because he was the living god in their presence. And the emperor at the time of this book was named Nero. And in 64 AD, he set fire to Rome in order to build a new city according to his liking. 
And in order to squash the rumors that he set the fire and to get rid of this group of people that he detested, he blamed the Christians for the fire and the mass arrest and persecution of Christians began. We're told by a historian named Tacitus, you can see this on the screen, he recorded that every sort of derision was added to their deaths. They were wrapped in the skins of wild beasts and dismembered by dogs. Others were nailed to crosses. Others, when daylight failed, were set afire to serve as lamps by night. So nearly 20 years ago, I sat at an outdoor restaurant in Rome overlooking Nero's gardens. And you can see a picture of this. This is what I saw. And I remember talking to Sarah, uh, my wife, about our brothers and sisters who followed Jesus and their devotion to him. And it was surreal to sit there and think as the sun went down and the street lamps came on, that in that garden across the street, Christians were burned so the emperor could provide light for his evening parties. If you were a follower of Jesus in Rome in the 60s, you stood out and you were singled out for terrible persecution. So it's no surprise, if you're following in your notes, that Mark gives special attention more than any other of the Gospels to the issues of persecution, the cost of discipleship, and martyrdom, the willingness to die for following Jesus. And to encourage these followers of Jesus, as we make our way through Mark's gospel, we'll see two main themes emerge. Steve writes about more of these in the Bible study, but two main themes over and over again. Theme one, if you're following in your notes, to present a clear picture of Jesus. Mark wants to know that Jesus is the Savior, the Messiah, the Christ, or the Anointed One, the Son of God. Only two stories in the entire gospel feature someone other than Jesus, and those both feature John the Baptist talking about Jesus. Mark writes to let us know that Jesus is the king, but he's a king that looks different than any other king. He would be a king who served others, suffered, died, and rose again, and a king whose kingdom never ends. Mark presents a clear picture of Jesus, and we'll see that as we study together. He wanted these followers of Jesus to keep their faith because following Jesus was worth it. And then the second theme that he's going to pull out again and again, if you're following in your notes, is to present a clear picture of faithful discipleship. Mark wants us to know the demands of following Jesus, the cost of following Jesus, the reward of following Jesus. Make no mistake about it. Jesus is the main character, but Mark continually focuses on the disciples. He goes back to them all the time, and he shows how they struggle with a variety of challenges like selfishness, pettiness, short-sightedness, indecision, fear, faithlessness. Aren't you thankful that we're given these real-life descriptions of the first followers of Jesus? It gives me great hope when I mess up. And it's why this book is so important and prescient for us today, because we need to be reminded what it means to follow Jesus and live the way of Jesus. So with all of that in mind, we're going to look at just one verse today, a verse that is so rich and so important. 
It's Mark chapter one, verse one. And in the gray box in your notes, I've put that in, in the ESV first and the NIV second. We're going to read both of those together. So let's read the first translation, the ESV together, full voice. It says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. And then let's read the NIV, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the son of God. If you open up any other book today, you'll find a number of things inside the front cover, right? You'll, you'll see a title page, a copyright page, a dedication page, a table of contents, a preface, an introduction, and then you come to chapter one. Ancient writers did not have that luxury. Paper was scarce and expensive, but they did try to alert the reader to the scope of the work with a title or introductory phrase. And that's what verse one does for us. Mark starts with the words, the beginning, which recalls Genesis 1.1. Mark is communicating that something new has occurred. Something new has broken in. It's the idea that something new is being launched Remember, this is the first gospel to be written, and it is about a new beginning. If you're following in your notes, Mark is announcing a new beginning, an event after which the history of the world will never again be the same. This is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The beginning of the gospel. If you're following in your notes, the word gospel means a proclamation of good news or joyful tidings. The word gospel was not originally a religious word and it wasn't a literary genre like we know it is today. It was used in the Roman world centered around the emperors, right? We said they were considered gods. And the Greek term gospel was used at the time of the Roman empire to herald the good news of the arrival of a kingdom and the arrival of a king. Let me give you just one example. I want to put a picture up for you. This was a decree known as a gospel of glad tidings. This is about Caesar Augustus. It dates from 9 BC. So let's put up the translation of that and see what it said about the emperor. It said, September 23 is a day which we may justly count as the equivalent to the beginning of everything. A savior has been sent for us and those who come after us to make war to cease, to create order everywhere. And whereas the birthday of the God Augustus was the beginning for the world of the glad tidings, the gospel that have come to men through him. Even coins used at the time of Jesus and at the time of the writing of Mark had a picture of Caesar Augustus on one side and the Latin words divifilius on the other, which meant son of God. So can you see how the introduction to Mark's gospel is so dangerous? It is a dangerous introduction. The beginning of the gospel, the good news, the joyful tidings of Jesus, the son of God. This introduction was an open challenge. It was countercultural and subversive. And for the remainder of the gospel that we're going to study, Mark lays out how Jesus is the good news and he restores everything that is broken and how he is the true savior of the world and the son of God. 
In one verse, Mark is stating that Caesar is not Lord and King. Jesus is Lord and King. Our allegiance is to only one King, King Jesus, and he is worth living and dying for. And the same is true for us as it was for that early church in Rome. If this Jesus is the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, the son of God who ushers in a new beginning to everything and changes everything, then he deserves our sole allegiance, our loyalty, and our devotion. And there's one word that's helped me grasp this concept of allegiance in the past few years, and it's the word apprentice. For years, I struggled with what exactly it meant to follow Jesus. Like, how do I measure that? How do I know if I'm really following him? And this word apprentice helped give me shape for what it means to follow. I found that it provided language for an idea that always felt a little vague. So if you've, if you've ever struggled with what it means to follow Jesus, I'm praying the next few minutes will help you, particularly students. If there's any students in the room, I want to invite you to lean in because I believe this can change the trajectory of your life and your relationship with Jesus. I don't blame anybody else for this, but I wish I would have known that following Jesus was more than saying a prayer one time and then just thinking me and Jesus were cool. I remember going to youth group in high school. I remember it like it was yesterday, sitting in a living room and our youth leader said, so do you think it's easy or hard to follow Jesus? And so quickly I just said, man, I think it's really easy. Oh, I wish I would have known how hard it is to follow Jesus, to become like Jesus. And so here's what I mean when I say the word apprentice. If you're following in your notes, it's an invitation to spend time with a person in order to learn to do what that person does or become what that person is. Now that word might sound a little foreign to us. We don't use that word a lot anymore, but at one point, almost every trade and industry trained the next generation through apprenticeship. You've heard of Leonardo da Vinci, one of the greatest painters the world has ever known. He became an apprentice at age 14 in Florence, Italy, to the leading painter in Florence. And during that time, he was taught the expert artistic skills of drawing, painting, and sculpting. Six years later, he was an apprentice for six years. Six years later, he was admitted to the Master Guild of Painters in Florence, but he remained an apprentice for another three years. And then he began helping his mentor paint his paintings. He finished his apprenticeship after nine years, but he never stopped learning from his mentor. And it would be 19 years later that he would paint the Last Supper that we know so popularly. And it would be 27 years later that he painted the Mona Lisa, both of which experts have now said use techniques influenced by the one he studied under. And that's exactly what Jesus did with the 12 disciples. And we'll see this in the Gospel of Mark. We see 12 people invited by Jesus to spend time with him, to learn from him how to live the way he lived. And they weren't perfect, but to the best of their ability and with the help of the Holy Spirit, everything they did was influenced by the one who invited them to follow. 
Just as Mark said, the good news of Jesus is a new beginning. Apprenticing Jesus and following him is entering into a new way of life that is given shape and character by the one who calls us. It's an internal change that leads to living differently externally. And that's why as we spend time with Jesus to learn from Jesus, our goal, we've got to have this as our goal. If you're following in your notes, our goal is to be shaped into his likeness. It's not just to learn more and gather more information, and it's not just to do good things. It's to become like him. I love this quote by a pastor and philosopher, the late Dallas Willard. He says this, you can see it on the screen. As a disciple of Jesus, I am with him by choice and by grace, learning from him how to live life in the kingdom of God. This is the crucial idea. I am learning from Jesus to live my life as he would live my life if he were I. I'm not necessarily learning to do everything he did, but I am learning how to do everything I do in the manner that he did all that he did. I'm passionate about this. I'm excited for our church to study this. I believe God wants to work in our midst as we become more like Jesus. And I'm passionate about this because following Jesus as an apprenticeship has changed my life. And I believe it can change yours as well. I would say in the last decade, in the last 10 years, I've began seeing following Jesus as an apprenticeship. I used to measure my discipleship and whether I was growing in my faith. My metric was either how much I read my Bible or how many Bible verses I memorized or how many good things I was doing. Now, don't hear me say that spending time in the Bible and doing good things are not important. They are vital for our faith, but they're insufficient for following Jesus. And I came to this conclusion because what I noticed about myself is that I could spend time with Jesus and not look a lot like Jesus in the way that I spoke to people or thought about people or loved people. And I was faced with the reality that if I said I followed Jesus, if my life didn't look more and more like the one I followed, then I wasn't really following him. I was just a dry cleaning business with a sign out front that didn't describe the business accurately. I'm now convinced that in addition to studying the words of Jesus and the works of Jesus, we need to live the way of Jesus. So before stepping into leadership last year, I didn't, uh, went to some counseling. And the counselor pushed me to define what I was created for, what makes me come alive, what do I want to give myself to. And I just want to share with you what I wrote after a few sessions. I wrote, to help lead a church that practices the way of Jesus, to see people formed in the way of Jesus, to create a community of followers of Jesus that seek to become like Jesus in every area of their life. This matters because reaching people to follow Jesus depends on people who give themselves fully to Jesus. That's what I'm going after. And that's what I want to invite you into to follow Jesus with everything you have so that we can share the good news of Jesus with as many people as we can. 
So as we begin this study in the Gospel of Mark, let me leave you with two questions today. Two questions. First one, if you're following on your notes, will I apprentice Jesus? Will I apprentice Jesus? Will you apprentice Jesus? And the second question that follows that is what is the first step or the next step? What is your response to this invitation? And I want to invite you to put your notes away and just sit back for a minute as I talk to you about what a next response might be in your life. If today is the day that you want to follow Jesus, this can be the day you take the first step to apprentice Jesus and recognize him as your savior. You can follow him and accept his free gift of forgiveness. You can do that today and even be baptized next Sunday. You can experience the new beginning that we've talked about today. And if you're ready to take that first step, I do want you to know this. Not all of your problems will magically disappear. And your life will not be perfect. That did not happen for the people who were part of the church in Rome. And it doesn't happen for us. But like those early apprentices of Jesus, you can know his peace in the midst of pain. You can know his joy in the midst of discouragement. And you can know his love in the midst of loneliness. Following Jesus does not remove our trials and our heartaches, but it provides us with a hope that can't be taken away. For someone here or someone watching online, your first step today, today might be the day that you make the decision to follow and apprentice Jesus. Or maybe you've taken that first step and your next step is becoming more like Jesus in every area of your life, a whole life steward. Maybe that means scheduling intentional time to be with Jesus in his word and prayer like we began the year doing. Because if we're not spending time in his word, it's awfully hard to be influenced by Jesus to become like him, right? Or maybe your next step is moving beyond knowledge and good works. Like me, that's been your measurement. And maybe there's an area of your life that doesn't look like Jesus yet. Or you're holding on to something that you aren't quite sure you can trust Jesus with. Or perhaps there's an area in your life that you keep struggling with. You just keep struggling with a sin. And in your best efforts, you cannot try hard enough to overcome. So today, you have an invitation to bring that area of your life or your whole life to Jesus, to name it, to offer that to him in prayer, and he will meet you where you are. The promise he gives us, he will not leave us alone. So before we take communion today, we want to give you the gift of slowing down so you can talk to God. And I want to invite you to name where you are. Where are you? Are you ready to take a first step? Or do you need to take a next step? Where are you? Name where you are and ask him to guide your first step or your next step in apprenticing him. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you today? Just take a moment and talk with the Lord. Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like more information, visit cherryhillsfamily.org or find us on Facebook.